It's lovely to be with you. My name is Matthew. I know many of you, but if I haven't met you before, I'm glad to be with you this morning. I want to tell you a story this morning because it's Christmas. And Christmas, as we've been hearing, is a time to remind ourselves about some of the big stories of our faith. But I want to tell you a story because perhaps more importantly, the deepest truths about ourselves, about God, about our faith are perhaps best understood through story. Not by ideas or ideologies or theologies or even preaching, but through telling a story. So I want to tell you a story this morning. The story of Zechariah the priest. There he is. Now, maybe you've never heard of Zechariah the priest. Well, that's him in the picture. Zechariah was a priest who lived in the days of King Herod. Zechariah lived in the days of King Herod the Great, the cruel King Herod, when all of Israel were waiting for a long-promised Messiah. All of Israel was waiting for a long-promised Messiah who would liberate Israel from Herod and her Roman oppressors. In those days of waiting, Zechariah was already old. Zechariah was old and he was tired. His entire life, Zechariah had served as a priest to El Elyon, the Most High God of Israel, El Shaddai, the Lord Most High, the Great I Am, Jehovah, Adonai. Just how many names did this God have? Every day before serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Zechariah would carefully purify himself, washing hands and feet, sprinkling his vestments, the vestments of Aaron, as the law required, day in, day out. As a priest, he'd made burnt offerings, meal offerings, dough offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings. He'd released the scapegoat. He'd made peace offerings, heave offerings, drink offerings, incense offerings, thank offerings, year in, year out. Zechariah was a priest in the division of Abijah, no ordinary priest. Even Elizabeth, his wife, was a descendant of the priestly line, a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother, no less. In terms of priests, Zechariah was practically royalty. And he knew in his heart that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were righteous before God, blameless in observing the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. But sometimes Zechariah wondered what all of this was for. Because more bitter to Zechariah than all the false messiahs who came and went, claiming to fill the promises of Israel's great prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, who had heard from God, and Zechariah had never heard God speak. Isaiah, who saw a vision of a messiah in King David's line who would liberate Israel, more bitter than the taste of all the false messiahs who'd lived by violence and died by violence. 
More bitter than all of that, worse than all the other disasters Israel suffered, Zechariah's marriage to Elizabeth was barren. To be barren was a woman and a family's greatest misfortune, a curse. Maybe even a sign of God's disfavor. And he, a priest in the line of Abijah, Elizabeth, a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother, no less. But hadn't God commanded mankind to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth? That was God's blessing, but not for Zechariah and Elizabeth. No, Zechariah and Elizabeth knew the sting of shame. The thoughtless words at family gatherings, the pain of watching families with children celebrate Israel's great religious feasts. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, but not for Zechariah. God had not provided a son. So Zechariah was old and tired and disappointed, and he worried. Zechariah worried because in his day to be childless was not just a source of shame, it was an economic disaster. With no child, who would look after Elizabeth when Zechariah died? That was a son's duty, but Zechariah had no son. So when one day Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you, suddenly spoke to Zechariah, and who knows how these things happen, how these things work. Zechariah himself could not have fully explained it. But when El Olam, the everlasting God, spoke to Zechariah through an angel, yes, an angel, Zechariah could not have described what the angel looked like, certainly not while he was busy ministering at the altar of incense with all the assembled worshipers praying outside and waiting for him to come out so they could go back home to eat or watch the game or whatever it was what they did back then. When Zechariah, on his own, as he often was, before the altar, before the God who was always so silent, before the God who had never answered his prayer for a son, when an angel, no less, told him that in his old age he would have a son. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Well, Zechariah was covered in confusion. All those decades of begging and pleading with God for a son, and now he couldn't, and he didn't believe it. So he said the first words that came into his head. Foolish words, unthought words. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years, but you don't argue with an angel. And had he forgotten the story? The stories in which Sarah laughed when God promised Abraham a son in their old age? Well, what happened next was even harder to explain. 
And over the years to come, years that will be filled with the cries of a child, the laughter, the fun, the hard, hard work of parenting. Oh, it was so late in life to have to care for a child. Well, what happened after the angel spoke became confused in Zechariah's mind, his tired old mind. Well, first Elizabeth, miracle of miracles, became pregnant. And then the angel told him, now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this birth happens, because you did not believe my words which came true at the appointed time. No, wait a minute, it was the other way around. Yes, it was the other way around, the curse of silence birth, and then came the birth. And for nine months, Zechariah could not speak. Nine months, during which the baby grew and kicked, and Elizabeth's belly swelled. Nine months during which time Zechariah heard that Elizabeth's cousin, Mary, not yet married to Joseph, had also fallen pregnant in very strange circumstances involving an angel. Those angels get about. Well, nine months is a long time not to be able to speak, and nine long months in silence is a lot of time to think. And for nine months, something brewed and kicked at Zechariah like a child in its mother's belly. In that long, dark silence, Zechariah remembered and went over and over what the angel had said. What else could he do in those long, silent days? What had the angel said? Oh, yes, your son will be a joy and a delight to you. Of course he would. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take to wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, his son, was to be like Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And here it comes, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A people, you and me, prepared for the Lord. Of course, that was it. That was the promise that Israel had carried for all those barren centuries. That's the great story, that people need to get prepared for the Lord, because one day the Lord himself would again dwell with his people on earth as it is in heaven. All the words, the endless liturgies that he'd recited day in, day out, alone in front of the altar. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, rehearsing, reminding, repeating, and repeating the great story. All that was so that he could feel the story in his very bones. So that even when he'd forgotten it or didn't want to hear it anymore, it was still there. The story was so deep in his bones that now God had invited him into that story. And better still, the angel had said his son Zechariah and Elizabeth's son John would be right in the middle of that story. 
And so when finally the waters broke and Elizabeth gave birth to a child, Zechariah too was about ready to burst. And finally the words came out, words fit for the moment, words fit for God, words filled with the Spirit of God, words filled with the great story. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That was the story. That is the story. So why have I told you this story? Well, because we human beings are storied beings. Stories shape our lives. Stories are powerful. Stories can send us to war or push us to collaborate to make great discoveries. Stories can bring us together and stories can tear us apart. Stories can get at things, truths about us and about God that ideas and ideologies and theologies and preaching and teaching can't. And we all carry a story. A story by which we make sense of our lives. And this Christmas is all about the story, not a fiction, you understand but something so beyond our imagination, something so wide that it is perhaps best understood or can only be understood through story. Because there is a lot that is hard to get your head around, like angels striking priests dumb. Or a promise that God would ask his people to carry for hundreds of barren years that God would one day walk with man again just as God walked in the Garden of Eden searching for Adam. And that promise will be fulfilled in Christmas in an unexpected human child in Jesus. This is what an author, Madeleine Langler, author of A Wrinkle in Time. This is what she said. We have a story as it has been told for nearly 2,000 years. The story of a man who changed history in a way we have hardly begun to comprehend. When we have held true to the story, it has been a life-giving one. When we've tried to control or manipulate it or legalize it, it has become the cause of mayhem and murder. We do not own stories. And when we try to limit them, squeeze the life out of them, lose the love that gave them to use and fall back on that fatal human flaw, pride, we're right back to Adam and Eve who listened to the power of the snake instead of the creativity of God. In story, everything is more than it seems. 
And we get occasional glimpses, revelations, but when we try to analyze them, we lose them. He is with us because of a love beyond our comprehension. And it is only through love that we're able to know him at all. And it isn't even our love, it is Jesus' love expressed through us. So what happens to us, she asks. Why are we not alive with joy? So this is Christmas. And every Christmas, the invitation to our old, tired, disappointed, and worrisome world is, can we rediscover the joy? The wonder of the Christmas story. Something far more glorious than a tired old priest can explain. Because you don't always have to make sense of it all. That's the beauty of a story. And sometimes trying to make sense of it takes us further away from the truth, further away from God. And if you're not sure this morning what you believe about God, or even if you do believe in God, well then just listen. Just listen to Christmas as a story. Start with the story. And this Christmas, let's also remember that this story is a story that is not yet finished. That this play is in its final act. But the final act is not yet written. And God, the Most High God, El Elyon, El Shaddai, El Olam, Jehovah Jireh, Adonai, I could go on. Well, He, God, might, might just speak to you to invite you into the story to play your part. Maybe He will even send an angel. If He does, it probably won't be like what you expect it to be like. More likely, it will be that still, small voice by which God invites you further and further in to the great story. And if God should suddenly speak to you and invite you into his story like he did with Zechariah, well, that would be an unspeakable joy. That's how it was for me when God invited me in, but that's another story. And so the only question for you and me this Christmas is if God is asking you into the story, will you say yes? Will you come in? Let's pray. Father God, this morning, as we've heard scriptures from Genesis all the way through to the New Testament, and we've reminded ourselves of the great story of Christmas. My prayer for us all is that that story would come alive. That we would rediscover the joy and wonder of things that are difficult to comprehend, inexpressible. That in your story we would find life and we would find hope. We would find assuredness. We would find certainty. We would find confidence. And the Lord, we would be willing to play our part in your story. Amen.